Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy on today. Father, we thank you for the opportunity one more time, God, to be in the presence of you, to be in the presence of your people. Father God, we ask that you just have your divine way as we are closing out this year. We know that there is one more Sunday. But Father, we thank you for this Sunday. We thank you for this opportunity for life, for health, for strength, for breath in our bodies. Lord God, we know even on this morning that some are grieving, some are mourning. And Father, we ask that you comfort those with your Holy Spirit's comfort. Comfort in the ways, God, that we ourselves lack, even in our own understanding as humans in this earth. We know that you, the one who is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-being, all-encompassing, who is acquainted with our griefs and our sorrows, God, that you know just the right words and the right people and the right measure of relief to sin. So we ask, oh God, that you comfort those that mourn today. Father, we ask, oh God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, in your sight, for you are my strength and you are my redeemer. Now, Father, the words and the study and the research and the prayers, God, let it all come together into a message today that will encourage, that will uplift, that will inspire those, God, who are seeking your face, even on today. It is in your son Jesus' name we ask that I be endued with your Holy Spirit's power and you endure and endue those who would be the listeners and the receivers today to receive your message in your words. Amen and amen. Again, good morning to those of you who are with us. If you're with us for the first time, I am Prophet Shante Charles and I am a co-founder here at Life Nation along with Apostle Robert, who is also uh, here with us today. And we want, just want to welcome you to our Sunday Dialogue. We tend not to call them sermons because really, this is a dialogue between the Word and us, between the Holy Spirit and the Word, between us, the Holy Spirit, and the Word. And so that's why we call our messages Dialogues. So want to also, just before we get into the word here, um, let you know that we will be on for one final message on December 30th for this year at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can join us here on the page, on the page, Life Nation page, as well as our YouTube channel, Church Love 333. We're going to be on and we'll be sharing what the Lord has told us about 2023 and so we encourage you and invite you to join us at that time we are in our final message our final message for the series spiritual laws of divine power and today we're going to be talking about the law of resilience the law of resilience now i don't know about you but Seemingly 2022 has seemingly been almost a demonstration in resilience. And so I'm excited about this. I was seeking the Lord and I said, okay, Lord, where would you have me to go when, we, when it comes to resilience? And he said, I want you to talk about this particular woman. And let me tell you something. I thought that I was going to be able to find more on this woman. And now I understand, even as I was studying her, I was beginning to understand why the Lord said to focus in on this particular woman, because there are so many examples and, and characters and people in the word of God that we could talk about. But this is a woman that's actually not talked about very often. I've looked at commentaries and I've looked at the books that I've had. I have an extensive library that talks about women um, from the, the scriptures and she's not in any of these books. So I said, well, I, I'm appreciative of the honor 
of bringing out some things in her story. So as we go and talk about the spiritual laws of divine power today, and we're looking at the power of resilience, what kind of divine power does resilience release in us? Because we're going to need it for 2023. Let's look again at what power means. Power is the ability to act or produce an effect. It's the ability to have influence over others. It is authority. It is jurisdiction. It is the right to govern, to rule, or to determine. Now, when we talk about power, we should always be asking ourselves three main questions. What action do we want to take with this power? What effect do we want to have or leave with this power? And what or who do we want to influence with this power? What does it mean to be resilient? Let's look at the definition. Resilient means springing back, bouncing back from difficulty. I don't know about you, but I'm all, I feel like preaching today. <laughs> Bring, bouncing back from difficulty. Resilience means to have an elasticity about you. I don't know about you, but God has shown me in 2022 the elasticity of my faith. And in that elasticity, it is the ability to resume your original shape after compression. Oh my, oh my, oh my. You know we going somewhere today. So when you're resilient, you're able to resume your original shape after being compressed. <laughs> what did the apostle say? He said, sometimes we're cast down, but not for, forsaken, right? We're, we're, we've sometimes borne about in our body the dying or the process of uh, releasing some things because of the way that we have chosen to follow Christ. The other word for resilient, the definition means inclined to leap or jump back. <laughs> oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And so when you are resilient, resilience, and, we, and you go through a process of moving through this life, Resilience helps people to know what it looks like to be human. Resilience helps people to know that God is not simply a decoration to our daily life. Resilience helps people to know and to understand that this is not a boutique spirituality where you just curate the nice and the good parts of your life. But when you have resilience, it is because you have been through some things. You don't bounce back without having been compressed. You don't bounce back without having been put out of shape in your life, okay? And so as we're going to see today, a part of developing this resilience is through prayer, the Holy Spirit told me this and I said, I'm going to have to make sure that I in incorporate this and meditate on it a little bit more as I look into 2023. But he said, prayer is the frame and our life is the picture. <laughs> prayer is the frame and our life is the picture. Prayer is what stretches the canvas of our life and gives it structure. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is the frame. Our life is the picture. Prayer stretches the canvas of our life and gives it structure. So what is resilience? Resilience is an adaptive response to serious hardship. Again, you don't know how resilient you are. You don't know your ability to leap back or to jump back or to bounce back from difficulty unless you have had some serious hardships. 
And I know that many of us this year have experienced some hardships. But look at yourself and speak to yourself today and say, I am resilient. I am resilient. Because I am here. Resilience requires supportive relationships. It requires learning to cope with threats. Resilience is critical to the development of your life and your soul. Resilience can be developed at any age, but the earlier that it's developed, according to the research, it's the better. A child who is able to develop resilience at an earlier age has a better chance of, way, of making it through hardships at a later place in life in a healthy manner. So I want to tell you that what resilience doesn't mean, okay? Resilience doesn't mean that you've never failed. Resilience doesn't mean that you've never fallen. Resilience doesn't mean that you've never taken a hit. Resilience means that you have experienced the crushing forces of life, but you have learned to absorb the impact and rise again because you learned to use that impact to your advantage. So it did not crush you. You simply absorbed the impact and you bounced back or you rose back or you leapt back from the circumstance. So how do you know you have resilience? How do you know that that divine power is operating on the inside of you? Is because what crushed other people actually caused you to ascend. What took other people out this year caused you to rise to another place. That's how you know you have this divine power of resilience. And so I got a, I have a couple of uh, objects here with me. Hey, <laughs> I have a couple objects here with me because I want you to understand what resilience is. So resilience means that something has pressed against you. Something has compressed you. And in the process of that compression, right, you get, you get pulled out of your original shape. But resilience means no matter how much I get pressed, no matter how much I get crushed, I'm able to bounce back. I'm able to return to my original shape. So it doesn't mean that you are not getting hit. It means that you are learning and you have learned how to absorb that impact and make it work to your advantage. Absorb the impact and make it work to your advantage. So resilience then is the capacity to absorb disturbances and to reorganize. Mm -hmm. How many of you had to reorganize some things in your life this year so that you could maintain, so that your identity did not shift, the core of who you are did not shift? Though things in your life had to be rearranged and reorganized and moved around. So when you have resilience, you're able to cope with the shocks of life and yet keep your shape. Also known as maintain your identity. Also known as maintain your consistency. Also known as integrity. So I want to talk to you about the components that you find in resilience. In resilience, you have competence. You have the ability to know how to handle stressful situations effectively. When you are resilient, you focus on stress reduction. 
How do I not get myself worked up over things that I cannot change? <laughs> when you have resilience, you have confidence. You have a belief in your own abilities. You know what your individual strengths are. And you know what your weaknesses are. But you don't let your weaknesses be the driving force in your life. When you have resilience, you have connection. You have a sense of belonging. Sometimes this includes having close ties with a significant other, with a family member, with a um, organization or a group. You have some sort of connection there. Usually people who have connection have a ability to bounce back from hardships and difficulties. God created us to be in relationship, not only with him, but also with other human beings. When you are resilient, you know your own character. You have a sense of self-worth. You understand what your values are. But most importantly, there's something within your character that lets you know that I have something to contribute to the world of value. When you are resilient, there is a mindset that I have a contribution to this life and that I'm making actions and choices that benefit the world around me. I'm going to make actions and I'm going to make choices that are going to benefit me holistically as a person, but also is going to benefit those around me, my immediate surroundings, my children, my family, my local community. There is a sense that there is a contribution that I have to make in this world. That's a part of your resilience. When you are resilient, again, you've learned how to cope. Well, what is coping? Coping is having the skills to confront conflict and everyday life stresses. I promise you we're going somewhere. I want you to think about these things because who we're going to talk about today, you'll see how these things are going to align, not only for yourself, but the woman that we're going to talk about today. When you are resilient, you have control. You realize that you don't have control over everything and everyone and everybody, but you do have control over your own actions and your own decisions. You have control over how you wish to think and how you wish to act in order to bounce back from challenges. So, how do we bounce back? How do we bounce back? We got to have honesty. We got to have humility in those times when we know that we are under stress and we are under pressure. We've got to have flexibility and we've got to have patience. So as you think about those four things, I want to dive into our text today. Honesty, humility, flexibility, and patience. We're going to come back to those, but I want to dive into the text for today. Go with me to 1 Samuel 1. We're going to be reading 1 Samuel 1 through 1 Samuel chapter 2. Verses 1 through 11. So here we go. 1 Samuel 1. There once was a man who lived in Ramathayim. He was descended from the old Zoo family in the Ephraim Hills. His name was Elkanah. He was connected with the Zeus from Ephraim through his father Jeroam and his grandfather Elihu and his great grandfather Tohu. He had two wives. The first was Hannah, the second was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, 
Hannah did not. Every year this man went from his hometown up to Shiloh to worship and offer a sacrifice to the God of the angel armies. Eli and his two sons, Hophni, Hophni and Phinehas, served as the priests of God there. When Elkanah sacrificed, he passed helpings from the sacrificial meal around to his wife, Peninnah, and all her children. But he always gave an especially generous helping to Hannah because he loved her so much and because God had not given her children. But her rival wife taunted her cruelly, rubbing it in and never letting her forget that God had not given her children. This went on year after year. Every time she went to the sanctuary of God, she could expect to be taunted. Hannah was reduced to tears and had no appetite. Her husband Elkanah said, oh, Hannah, why are you crying? Why aren't you eating? And why are you so upset? Am I not of more worth to you than 10 sons? So Hannah ate. Then she pulled herself together slipped away quietly and entered the sanctuary. The priest Eli was on duty at the entrance to God's temple in the customary seat. Crushed in soul, Hannah prayed to God and cried and cried inconsolably. Then she made a vow. O God of the angel armies, if you'll take a good hard look at my pain, if you'll quit neglecting me and go into action for me by giving me a son, I'll give him completely unreservedly to you. I'll set him apart for a holy life of discipline, a life of holy discipline. It so happened that as she continued in prayer before God, Eli was watching her closely. Hannah was praying in her heart silently. Her lips moved, but no sound was heard. Eli jumped to the conclusion that she was drunk. He approached her and said, you're drunk. How long do you plan to keep this up? Sober up, woman. Hannah said, oh, no, sir. <laughs> Please, I am a woman hard used. I haven't been drinking, not a drop of wine or beer. The only thing I've been pouring out is my heart, pouring it out to God. Don't for a minute think I'm a bad woman. It's because I'm so desperately unhappy and in such pain that I've stayed here so long. Eli answered her, go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked of him. Think well of me and pray for me, she said, and went her way. Then she ate heartily, her face radiant. Up before dawn, they worshiped God and returned home to Ramah. Elkanah slept with Hannah, his wife, and God began making the necessary arrangements in response to what she had asked. Before the year was out, Hannah had conceived and given birth to a son. She named him Samuel, explaining, I asked God for him. When Elkanah next took his family on their annual trip to Shiloh to worship God, offering sacrifices and keeping his vow, Hannah didn't go. She told her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll bring him myself and present him before God. And that's where he'll stay for good. Elkanah said to his wife, do what you think is best. Stay home until you have weaned him. Yes, let God complete what he has begun. So she did. She stayed home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Then she took him up to Shiloh, bringing also the makings of a generous sacrificial meal, a prize bull, flour, and wine. The child was so young to be sent off. They first butchered the bull and then they brought the child to Eli. Hannah said, excuse me, sir. Would you believe that I'm the very woman who was standing before you at this very spot praying to God? I prayed to God for this child and God gave me what I asked for. And now I have dedicated him to God. He's dedicated to God for life. Then and there, they worshiped God. And Hannah sang a song in praise. <laughs> I'm bursting with God news. I'm walking on air. I'm laughing at my rivals. I'm dancing my salvation. 
Nothing and no one is holy like God. No rock mountain like our God. Don't dare talk pretentiously, not a word of boasting ever. For God knows what's going on. He takes the measure of everything that happens. The weapons of the strong are smashed to pieces while the weak are infused with fresh strength. The well-fed are out begging in the streets for crusts while the hungry are getting second helpings. The barren woman has a house full of children while the mother of many is bereft. God brings death and God brings life, brings down to the grave and raises up. God brings poverty and God brings wealth. He lowers, but he also lifts up. He puts poor people on their feet again. He rekindles burned out lives with fresh hope, restoring dignity and respect to their lives, a place in the sun. For the very structures of earth are God's. He has laid out his operations on a firm foundation. He protectively cares for his faithful friends step by step, but leaves the wicked to stumble in the dark. No one makes it in this life by sheer muscle or strength. God's enemies will be blasted out of the sky, crashed in a heap and burned. God will set things right all over the earth. He'll give strength to his king. He'll set his anointed on top of the world. Elkanah went home to Ramah. The boy stayed and served God in the company of Eli the priest. I have one more verse I want you to read and then I'm going to expound. Verse 21, chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, 21. God was most especially kind to Hannah. She had three more sons and two daughters. The boy Samuel stayed at the sanctuary and grew up with God. So in total, Hannah actually had six children, not just Samuel. (laughs) So let's dive in. All right. Hannah's name actually means favor and grace. And the first thing that I thought about uh, is God was saying, I want you to talk about Hannah and I want you to talk about the power of resilience that is reflected in Hannah's life. Her name literally means favor and grace. But what happens when you're going through a situation, when you're going through a trial that seems unending? And you don't feel favored or graced because I'm quite sure that Hannah did not feel these things based on her own words. Based on her own words. Hannah, in this cultural context, okay, Hannah was the primary wife. In Jewish cultural tradition and context, when a man married a wife, and she had not conceived after 10 years, he was allowed to take on a second wife in order to conceive and bear children and produce heirs. So Hannah is the primary wife. She is the loved one. The scriptures say uh, in the New King James Version, I was reading from the message, but in the New King James Version, the scriptures say that the Lord had closed her womb. So she was loved. She was provided with a double portion of offerings and gifts from her husband. She was loved, but she was not established in the community with a child, in particular with a son. Okay? So what does she do? She asks the Lord for a son. But this is not before she has to be resilient. This is not before she is encountering something happening to her on a day-to-day basis. What is happening? She is in conflict on a daily basis with what the scriptures calls her rival. She is in conflict on a daily basis with a rival family member. This is not someone that like we say at the holiday time, this is not someone that she can ignore. (laughs) This is someone in her household. 
that she is having to endure their taunts, endure that pressure every single day. She's being reminded every single day of her barrenness. Penina, whose name means pearl, was not offering any pearls of value. <laughs> she was, she had a very proud and arrogant speech going on with Hannah every single day. She was reminding Hannah that you haven't produced. Mm -hmm. She was mocking her for being infertile. Penina possibly had, and we'll talk about how many children she had, she possibly had at least 10. Because Elkanah says to Hannah at one point, am I not worth more to you than 10 sons? So we know she had sons and daughters, but she possibly had up to 10 sons. So Penina every single day was bringing grief and disharmony. Grief and disharmony. Grief and disharmony to Hannah. And that grief and disharmony worsened once a year when they went up to bring their sacrifice to the house of the Lord. But what was going on with Penina? Penina was jealous because even though she was the wife or the mother that was producing, she was not the wife that was loved. So there is an inciting of jealousy because of the double portion that Hannah is being given. Now, Penina is reminding Hannah daily of her cultural or social flaw or her shortcoming. And if we will be honest, especially for women, nobody wants to be reminded daily if they are not pretty enough or not thin enough or too thin or childless or whatever it is. This was a constant wearing on Hannah's inherent worth and value as a person. Constantly. So what does Hannah do? Well, the text tells us that she is distressed. She's being put into a place of distress. This is wearing on her. Okay? This is actually wearing on her. Because Penina's mockery was like the rock in a shoe that was provoking Hannah. You ever had a rock get in your shoe? And you're trying to walk, but you can feel that pebble that's steadily rubbing and steadily grinding and steadily wearing you down? Yeah. So she's probably exhausted from these unwarranted attacks because remember Penina has been brought in to fulfill what was required but yet she is the one that's causing this disharmony and the and the grief so how do you move this taunting behavior how do you move this mockery how do you maintain your mental faculties when someone is constantly taunting you, constantly berating you, constantly pointing out your flaws? She was taunting her about something she had no control over, right? Because the text tells us it was the Lord who closed her womb. It wasn't Hannah who closed her womb. It was the Lord. So what she's inevitably doing, what Penina is inevitably doing in this moment 
is she's not only attacking the character of Hannah, but she's also attacking the character of the God who opened her womb. So let's continue. You have the first wife, Hannah, who has no children after 10 years. You have the second wife who's brought in to provide the heirs for Elkanah. And then you have this spiritual ritual that is supposed to occur every year. Convention. Yeah, every year they go up to convention. And every year she's reminded of what she doesn't have. So she taunts her, Penina taunts her. She rubs it in. She doesn't let her forget that God had not given her children. So every time she went to the sanctuary, she could expect to be taunted. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. Some people are literally running from sanctuaries because every time they go, they can expect to be taunted. They can expect to be told about their flaws. So at this point, Hannah has been reduced to tears. She had no appetite. And the person whom she loved and who loved her back was not in a place to understand what she was going through. Elkanah was not a woman. Elkanah was not having to live with the cultural expectations of producing children. So Elkanah says to her, am I not worth more to you than 10 sons? Elkanah in this moment is making it about himself. It wasn't about him, but he made it about himself. Isn't that what we do sometimes as human beings? So he asked her, why are you crying? Why are you upset? Why are you not eating? Right? This was not about whether or not she loved him. This was about a continual assault that was happening on her value as a woman in a world that focused heavily on a woman's contribution to society being her ability to produce. Not just to be, but her ability to produce as a human doing versus a human being. So what does Hannah do? That resilient part of her begins to kick in. It says that she ate and every black woman in the world knows this feeling. <laughs> she pulled herself together and she said, I've got to take this to the one who knows me. I have got to take this to the one who created me. She slipped away quietly to the sanctuary. Oh, yes, she did. As much as Elkanah loved her, he could not identify with her pain as a woman and not being able to meet the societal standard. There is no indication from scripture either that Elkanah did anything to stop Panina's taunts. So this is something that she is enduring. And the scriptures tells us that she was crushed in soul. Remember, she was crushed in soul. Mm. But what does she do with that crushing? She prayed to God. She didn't suck it up. She didn't say, I'm not feeling some kind of way. <laughs> she didn't say or try to hide the fact that she was heartbroken and desperate and dealing with the pain of feeling like there was a purpose in her producing and she had not produced yet. She prayed to God and cried and then she made a vow. Now, as she is trying to get through to God, 
the one who made her, the one who created her, here comes the wonderfully religious. <laughs> here comes the wonderfully religious Eli making a false or a carnal assumption and drawing an incorrect conclusion about what he sees happening on the outside of Hannah. And I've come to tell you today that as you are going through your process of resilience, there will be people that will misunderstand you. There will be people that will misjudge you. There will be people that come to the wrong conclusion about you just based on external things. Right. And Eli rebukes her in all of his piousness. I mean, <laughs> because clearly Eli can just spot what her issues are. I mean, he's so willfully blind to his son's own corruptions, but he can easily spot what is wrong with Hannah. I find that very to be very ironic. But Hannah has what? She has a sense of confidence about herself. Yes, she's in pain. Yes, she's feeling distressed. But she has enough wherewithal to know who she is. She's self-aware. She says, I am in pain. And I've been taking my pain to God in prayer. So yes, there will be times when nobody understands you, not even the spiritual leaders that are around you. My, my, my. Okay. They can be well-meaning, but they still may not understand. So she expresses to him what it is that she has been praying about. She expresses to him what she is about. She doesn't let him go on with a false impression of her. That's very important. So Eli says to her, go in peace and may God give you what you asked for. Because he can't give it to her, clearly. May God give you what you asked for. And God began making the arrangements for what she asked. So she produces Samuel. Samuel comes out of all of this. Now I want to tell you in the context of the Jewish culture, when her husband found out about this vow that she had made, he could have nullified the vow according to Jewish culture. He could have said, I don't agree with that vow that you made. And he could have nullified it, but he didn't. This is probably why. Hannah is not mentioned in a lot of these women of the Bible books. Elkanah doesn't nullify her vow. And then when she birthed the prophet Samuel, prophet, priest, judge Samuel, she could have actually fulfilled her vow by paying a certain amount to the temple to keep her son and still fulfill the vow. She was well within the context of Jewish law to do that. But instead, she kept her vow and gave her son to fulfill it. And later, we saw that Eli would bless them as they came again for the yearly sacrifice. And Hannah would go on to have more and more children. I want to talk about these four components of the bounce back that we see working in Hannah. I'm coming back to those four components of bouncing back. Hannah had honesty. We're talking about a bounce back in your life. You have got to be honest with yourself. She was able to see things with a clear eyed awareness. She was able to take stock of her situation and she was able to create a strategy that worked with her reality. What was her reality? Her reality was she was barren. Well, who was the only person that could unlock her barrenness and open up her womb? God. 
Panina couldn't do it. She was happy that it was closed. Elkanah couldn't do it. He loved her, but he, he didn't have the power to open her womb. Eli couldn't do it as the priest. She had to go to the God that created her. We have to have an honest awareness of our vulnerability and an honest awareness of our weaknesses. We have to take stock of our situation in an honest way. That is what Hannah did. She had humility. When we are facing, as they say, the vicissitudes of life, it's not about looking good. There is absolutely no, no glamour in an ugly cry. <laughs> no glamour in an ugly cry, right? So she was willing to let herself look less than perfect. She was willing to show her grief. She was willing to cry. And she didn't care how it looked. So allowing yourself to look less than perfect. Who cares what they think about how you look in the moment? Understanding that God gives grace to the humble. She humbled herself before God and said, this is what, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I desire. This is what's in my heart. Here's one that a lot of us struggle with. Having flexibility. What is flexibility? Remember we talked about resilience is being able to absorb what happens to us and being able to bounce back. It's our willingness to lean into God and let him absorb the blows. How was Hannah able to take on all of the things that was being pressured and put upon her by Penina day after day after day? At some point, Hannah realized, I have got to lean into God. This is grieving me. This is breaking my heart. This is crushing my soul. So I've got to have a willingness to lean into God and let God absorb the blows. Because if you live in this life, the blows will come. No one is exempt in this life from grief or sorrow or disappointment or heartbreak or misunderstanding or sabotage or undermining any of those things. But Jesus said, I am a man of sorrow who is acquainted with grief. So let me absorb the blow. Don't hold on to it within yourself. Cast your cares to me for I care for you. Pour it all out. Hannah said, I'm laying it all out on the altar. I'm pouring it all out to God. And let God absorb those tears. Psalm 56 says that our tears become a language to God. Our tears are, are a voice for God. Those, those tears begin to speak for us. And what did God do with Hannah's tears? He absorbed her tears and sent it back as rain to her barrenness. He watered the barrenness of her womb. Patience is a part of your bounce back. Patience is a part of your bounce back. What is patience? Patience is not just us saying, I'm going to freeze in time and wait on you. No, <laughs> patience is a learning, observing, a growing 
and a mindful space. This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. And again, I'm going to be incorporating this into my 2023. He said, patience is not a life on hold. It's a life on mold. Patience is the space where God is molding you and making you. It's not a life on hold. It's a life on mold or being in the making for what God is preparing for you. So in that space, patience can look like resting. Patience can look like exploring. Patience can look like playing. Patience can look like testing out your skills. Patience can look like exercising spiritual disciplines. Patience can look like experimenting. It is not a life on hold. It's a life on mold or being made into the person that is ready to receive what God wants to give you. So resilience is not a pretty process, but it yields beauty in the outcome. As I get ready to close today, I want to talk about five pillars to strengthen your resilience. Five pillars to strengthen your resilience. One is your self-awareness. If you are not clear, I'm encouraging you as you look into 2023 to get a clear perception of your own self. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your beliefs? What is your motivation? What drives you? What are your emotions going into 2023? How do you perceive you? So many times we're worried about how do people perceive us, but how do you perceive you? Ask yourself, how do I perceive myself? Mindfulness is your second pillar. Mindfulness is active, open attention on the present. It's being able to observe your thoughts and your feelings in the present. So ask yourself, how am I experiencing life right now? How am I experiencing my life moment by moment? Moment by moment. Am I fully present in my own life? The third is self-care. Self-care is the care that's initiated by us. It is the things that we do to function in this world with energy, vitality, and wellness. So I want you to ask yourself, how am I caring for me regularly? What am I doing to care for myself on the regular? What am I not waiting for somebody else to tell me I need to do to care for myself? But what am I doing to care for myself? Four is positive relationships. These are the relationships that make us feel healthy, happy, energized, full of life. Ask yourself, how am I connecting with life-giving people? Am I connecting with a lot of people that feel like every time I'm with them or talking to them, I feel drained when I leave their connection, when I leave their presence? Or am I connecting with life-giving people? Positive relationships. The fifth one is purpose. What is purpose? Purpose is your sense of belonging and mission in the bigger picture of life. There was something in Hannah that was driving her that she felt within herself that she was supposed to produce life. She felt that there was something in her that she was supposed to produce that would contribute, that she would give back to the Lord. It wasn't just about her birthing. It was there is something that's supposed to come out of me that is supposed to contribute to this world. I don't understand all of it, but when it comes out of me, God, I'm going to give it back to you. Notice she didn't give all of her children back. It was Samuel that she gave back to the Lord. So you got to ask yourself, 
How is my life connecting to a larger mission outside of myself? What is my contribution to the larger mission? Understand this, Penina, Penina could not force Hannah out of her cultural capital, though she tried her hardest. Penina wanted to be first in Elkanah's heart, and she could not be because Hannah was already there. We know what her motive was. She was provoked by the fact that Elkanah loved Hannah more than he loved her. She was provoked because she knew that her only purpose in the family at that point was to provide heirs. She tried to reinforce her position as a mother to Elkanah's sons by steadily demoralizing Hannah as just the wife that he loved. Hannah never questioned his love for her as a wife. She questioned her value as a producing member of the society. Again, Hannah could not avoid her, but what was in her power to do? She could plan her response. She could remember her own sense of worth in spite of what the society's expectations were. And she could remember why she was being targeted. It was over a position that Penina would never have. But all up outside of that, she knew that there was something in her that she needed to produce and get out into the world. How do we know that? What came from Hannah's resilience? I'll tell you what came from Hannah's resilience, as the Holy Spirit told me. A prophet who would lead the first two monarchs of Israel <laughs> would come from Hannah's resilience. Oh my, the Holy Spirit said her misery was the starting place for the monarchy. <laughs> Who could imagine a king? Her misery was the starting place for something prophetic to be birthed into the earth. A priest, a prophet, and a judge would come out of her. Samuel was everything but a king, but he would be the one to spark the first two kings of Israel. He would be the one to confirm the first two kings of Israel. This is why the song that I read that Hannah began to pray and sing actually speaks of the king who would come. Remember, at this point, there were no kings. There were only judges. So even as she began to pray in that prayer that we read, she prophesies the beginning of kings in the, in the line of Israel. I want you to understand this. I want you to ask yourself, what is my resilience creating, not only for me, but for the world? Up until this point, you had tribes that were ruled by judges, but Samuel becomes the bridge to move them from being tribes ruled by judges to a unified kingdom with a king after God's own heart. Gosh. 
There are three things that Hannah says in her prayer, three themes in her prayer. One is that God opposes the proud and raises up the humble. Who was the proud person she was talking about? She was talking about Peninnah. The second thing that she raises as a theme in her prayer is that despite tragedies, God is at work. When she talks about how God makes dead and God makes alive, according to the Midrash, when Hannah began to have children, for every child that Hannah had, Penina lost two of hers. Oh, wow. For every child Hannah gave birth to, Penina lost two. And it got to the point according to the Midrash, that when Hannah gave birth to her fifth child, Penina asked for mercy for her last two children to be spared death. So in her prayer where she says, God has given me seven, it's actually her five and Penina's two that God spares. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about that. That Penina's punishment, Penina's punishment for taunting and tormenting Hannah was essentially the loss of her children. She was punished for every child that Hannah bore, she lost too. This isn't my words. This is the historical Midrash account. The third theme in the poem is that God would raise up a king for his people. So her song in her prayer deals with her present truth about what happened in her situation, but also the prophetic future for the people of Israel. Her request, her getting down on her knees and praying and seeking God in her time of desperation would literally usher in a new spiritual structure for Israel. It would usher Eli, who became blind, to his son's corruption. It would usher Eli and his sons out. Because her son would literally become the replacement for a corrupt priesthood. This is all working through her resilience. Hannah did not become bitter against Elkanah. She did not become bitter against Peninnah. She did not become bitter against God. She did not even become bitter against Eli who misjudged her at the altar. She did not create problems in her home and she did not participate in tit for tat with Peninnah about her ability to produce. She gave her son as an act of devotion rather than redeem him with a sacrifice. I want to encourage you today. If you have felt like you have been in a place where you have been crushed, where you have been pushed, where you have been pressured, understand that resilience is not a pretty process, but it yields beauty in the outcome. So stand, my sister, my brother. Resilience does not mean never failing or never falling or never getting hit. Resilience means that you have experienced the crushing forces of life and you have absorbed the impact, but you've allowed yourself to lean into God who will take that impact for us 
who will take that crushing for us and produce something that goes beyond you, that goes beyond your lifetime. So I encourage you today to hold on and to hang on and to trust in the God who has created you. Apostle? Amen. Well, I pray that this word has ministered to your heart today. I pray that you have been uh, touched. I pray that I have delivered this word in the way that God wanted me to deliver it. And we're going to go into prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your favor and your truth. Thank you, Father God, for a resilience that you have released in your people today. I pray, Father, that those who are listening and watching and viewing under the sound of my voice, Father, I pray, God, that this word has released some insight into their own condition, some insight into their own struggles, some insight into their own trials and tribulations, God, that you have brought them thus far in this year and in their life. God, I pray that you would strengthen them today, God, that they would be infused with your divine power. God, that they would know themselves in an even greater way. Father, that you release even the more your competence and your confidence and your character in them. God, the spirit of self-control, Father, the ability to cope with hardships and, and the skills to confront conflict in their everyday life stresses. Father, I pray that they would not be crushed under the pressure that comes, but that your resilience, God, would rise up within them by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that they'd be able to leap back, bounce back, recover all, and ascend to an even greater place in understanding of who they are called to be. Let their purpose be produced in the earth. Everything that you have said that would come out of them, Father God, let their womb of creativity be opened in the name of Jesus. And as you have promised them and as they have asked you and opened their mouths and poured out their hearts before you, O oh God, as they have asked, let it be done. Let it be made manifest in your son Jesus' name. We pray, we believe, and we receive. Amen and amen. Mm -hmm. Listen, if this word has blessed you on today, there is a family that we would like to support over this holiday season. If you would be so kind, please give a contribution that is going to help us to support that family. We will be helping them on Monday. You can give a contribution to dollar sign Life Nation, which is our cash app, or you can give it through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Life Nation. This is a family that is in need over the holiday, uh, a family of three, and we want to be a blessing to them. And if you would like to also contribute into that fund, we will be giving it to them again on Monday. So that is what we were doing with our offering for today. Thank you again so much for your time and attention. And remember, light is the most daring opposition to darkness. So continue to be light in the earth. And don't let anybody stop you from bouncing back. Take care and God bless.